1: Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. On this edition of the show, I have joining me my former colleague at the Courier-Journal, Kyle Tucker, who is now the Kentucky basketball beat writer at The Athletic, does an outstanding job. We're going to talk about where the Cats are now, where he thinks he could they could be by the end of the year heading into March Madness, and where they rank when pitted against some of the better teams John Calipari has had while Kyle has been the beat writer. But before we jump into the Cats, we're going to start with the cards, NCL sounds off. So, since we last convened here on this podcast, Louisville Athletic Director Josh Hurd has come out voicing, if not his support, just at least sounding, uh, calling the dogs off for now by saying that Kenny Payne is going to be the head coach into the new year. He kind of left it open-ended, though. He didn't say throughout the rest of the season. He just said into the new year and this was in an interview done by another former CJ columnist Eric Crawford who was with WDRB Uh, when he spoke to Eric he did mention how really winning is the only way it's going to change the temperature right now surrounding Kenny Payne and it is very hot it is very hot and I think something needs to be said about the, the Louisville fan base some of you not all of you uh, I feel like they, I feel like they're losing some civility here. I mean, at the end of the day, Kenny Payne is either going to be retained or fired, regardless of how nasty you get on call-in shows uh, for post-game or morning radio shows or what have you. So let's keep it civil, folks. That's, that's just a reminder. But in, in looking at the bigger picture of Kenny Payne's tenure and, and what he's doing this season... Um, you're just going to have to let it play out. I mean, every game cannot be a do or die situation. And this is what Josh heard also alluded to and said he would not, he would not put the fortunes uh, of whether he keeps a rate or fires a coach based on one game. You know, it's, it's obviously the bigger picture where the program is headed. If there's any momentum being built, that kind of stuff. So, um, let's just let that man coach and things will happen as they should happen when they should happen. But outside of that, there's, there's no way to rush this process. There's no reason to rush this process. And Louisville has a young team. They, they've obviously had some growing pains. They've lost to some teams that on paper they should have beaten. Um, yes, all of that is true. But what is also true is, I've seen them get better. You know, this is this is a better team than it was last year. Um and you know, who knows what they can do in ACC play. The ACC is again in in my opinion they they're having a down year. Um only a few teams at the top seem to be separated from the rest of the pack with with the majority of teams in the conference anything can go, you know. So We'll see how that all plays out, but in the meantime, we do have at least some clarity that Kenny Payne is going to be the head coach for the immediate future. That being said, let's jump into this interview with Kyle Tucker and UK Basketball.
0: And welcoming to the show, no stranger (laughs) to the Courier (laughs) Tournament. But he is now with the athletics covering, among other things, UK basketball. Mr. Kyle Tucker, Kyle, what's going on, man?
2: What's up, my man? This is like, uh, it's like a, uh, the time machine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Blast from the past. And it could be because, uh, we once covered the Final Four together in 2012 that Kentucky ended up cutting down the net, uh, when we were both at the Courier Journal in my first term. So I wanna begin there with this UK team coming off uh, you know, big win over North Carolina and, and Atlanta. Just how what do you see feeling for this team? Like how how good are they, especially compared to some of the other UK teams that you've covered, including that one uh the only that has cut down the net in March?
2: Yeah, I mean I think the the main thing I would say is from a fun perspective, that's the word that keeps coming to mind with this group, you know, fun to watch. Um, this is probably the most fun to watch Kentucky team since 2016-17, the, the Fox-Monk-BAM year when when they were pretty electric, you know, you know Fox obviously a 100-mile-an-hour point guard and, and Monk could just go nuts and uh, kind of similar to what we just saw where, where they put on a show against North Carolina in the CBS Classic, you know, Malik Monk, lit them up, lit up North Carolina in that game um, in 2016. And so, um, you know, I think that this team kind of brings that team to mind a little bit. Um, I think ceiling-wise, they they could be, beat anybody. Uh, they could certainly, out, you know, outscore anybody. Um, reaching the ceiling, to me, is probably going to take a, a, a somewhat significant improvement defensively. That's the one concern. They still haven't been really great defensively. Um, they're around, you know, 50th nationally um, in the defensive metrics and as good as the offense has been. Um, and that's okay. Like, they, can, I think they can't outscore a lot of teams. Um, they don't necessarily have to be great defensively when they can score 90 or 100 points in a given night. You know, they just scored the most points ever scored by a Louisville opponent uh, at the KFC Yum Center. Um, not that Louisville's good, but uh, but they that was a record. And, uh, you know, they've been doing that to everybody. And so, um, I think they have the offense to win it all. I think if their defense could get, you know, 10% better, maybe, uh, 20% better for sure, they, they'd be, um, I think one of the favorites going into March and they've got a long, kind of a long runway now, um, to figure that part of it out. So, um, I'd say ceiling is. They could win the whole thing. I I, I don't think that's a, a crazy stretch. There doesn't seem to be a, a totally dominant team in, anywhere in college basketball right now, and uh, we've seen True. anybody get beat by anybody kind of across the board. So, um, with an offense as potent as they've got, I, I think the feeling's very high. Yeah, I thought
0: that. Uh, I mean, the way they can put so much pressure on a team because they have so many guys that can score. And they're not dependent. I know Reeves is leading the team in uh in scoring average, but they're they're not necessarily depending on him to carry them, you know. I mean he, he makes shots, but if he's not making shots, he didn't make a lot of shots in that Carolina game, at least uh, what he finished with, nine and, and most of that was in the second half. I think he was I think all of it was in the second half, right? He was yeah.
2: scoreless in the first yeah, half. Yeah, I mean that and, uh, that that to me is a big part of it. Like a year ago they almost relied solely on him to be a, you know, they needed him to be a reliable scorer every night. Um, they needed him to carry them. If he had a, if he had a cold shooting night, they were definitely going to lose, um, which he did in their second round tournament game and they lost. This year, he's like a luxury. That's what I wrote coming out of the Louisville game because he hit, you know, he hits nine straight shots in the first half, ends up with 30 I mean, in the game. That
0: was absurd.
2: <laughs> yeah. And can't, he he can't do that, fart. but that's the, that's the thing about this team though, is like, he doesn't have to do that. And so it's like when there's a night when he's feeling it, you feed him and you ride it and you're probably going to blow somebody out. But if there's a night where he's off, now you've got Reed Shepard and, uh, you know, DJ Wagner and, um, Rob Dillingham, any one of those guys could go off. And inside you've got Aaron Bradshaw back now as a, as a scoring and a rim protecting option. And so, um, even though he's leading them in score, it's kind of weird. Like Reeves is still leading them in scoring this year, and he he's had a couple of huge games, but it doesn't feel like the whole you know their success or failure in any way revolves around needing him to be that on a given night. He can have a quiet night, and you're still going to be just fine offensively, and, and that, that's a that's a huge difference from a year ago.
0: Yes. Now you, you mentioned Aaron Bradshaw, who. Played in, what, three games since uh, coming back from, you know, his, his split injury over the summer. Um, I want to talk about who hasn't been cleared yet, and we're still kind of waiting to see what the NCAA is going to do. Uh, the big seven-foot-two Croatian.
2: it.
0: did I say that right?
2: I think that's right. Close enough. <laughs>
0: yeah, What from what you've heard or what you know, What can he add to this lineup?
2: Well, that's the big question. What can he add? And then also, you know, is it, obviously, the kid deserves to play. You know, it's in his best interest to get a chance to play. I hope for his sake, given everything he's gone through to try to get here and get eligible and get, get first get cleared by UK, which took some time. And now this protracted, you know, clearance process through the NCAA, which whether he's you know whether he's got a real case or not just tell the kid is is my thing at this point um i, I think he certainly owes somebody a little more expedient um answer but the question is, so for him he should play i I, ho- I hope he gets that chance but the question for kentucky is like do they really at their in their heart of hearts does john calipari really in his heart of hearts want to try to figure out how to add another person to this mix um there was all this worry how would they reintegrate Aaron Bradshaw and then Ugana Onyenso? And they've done that pretty well. You know, Aaron it helps that Bradshaw is legitimately excellent and looks like he could be a star. And so you you know, you, you don't want to argue about adding that in. That that's helpful. Um, you know, Onyenso I think is gonna be okay in a role playing type of situation where they need some defense or rebounding inside. He gives them some spot minutes and he can do that. But now what do you do with the, with another one, you know? Before they didn't have enough big men. Now it's like are you going to have too many? Um and so that's what I really don't know. Like if he is out there and he is good enough to play, how do you do that? How do you balance that? How do you work that in are, as the season wears on and it gets into crunch time is are these guys all going to actually be happy playing, you know, dividing their minutes three ways? Um, it seems tough to me. Um, and and yeah. so yeah, I think he could add some things offensively. You know, he hasn't played in a good while now. He hasn't been in their system at all, really. doesn't really know what they're doing, I don't think. Um, it, it, it seems like we've gotten to the point where it's going to be very difficult to, to introduce him to the mix on top of everybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I'm just asking you your opinion here, not, not anything necessarily reported, but – is there, is there a chance this could go the way of a Shaden Sharp or or even en- Enos Kanter who just didn't, you know, uh, actually, did they finally just deny him or, he, he you know, he didn't get cleared? Yeah,
2: Kanter. they dragging Cantor it on. And then,
0: yeah. Yeah. Do, do you yeah, think we the whole, be in that territory?
2: Yeah, I don't think, I mean, that. Not so much Shaden Sharp. I wouldn't compare that situation only because, you know, that was Sharp just basically deciding to to bounce, to not play and then to bounce without ever playing. I think, you know, uh, Big Z, we'll call him that to simplify our lives here. You know, I think he um, (laughs) genuinely wants to play, and and if made available, you know, if that option was made available to him, would play. Um, I I don't question his desire to at all. I mean, he's kind of gone through the ringer trying to get up, get, you know, eligible to play. But I do think we're approaching a situation where if the NCAA is not, uh, has not given him any answer, he's go- going home for the holidays at the break to, you know, be with his family in Croatia because he's been away from them and this has been a real ordeal. And Cal talked about, you know, I wish I could keep him here, but the best thing for him is to get some time with his family. I, I think the- there's a very real concern and I think almost likelihood that if he doesn't hear you're cleared from the NCAA before he gets ready to come back to start the next semester at Kentucky. He's not going to come back because why would he? Um, you know, I just, you know, I was having I that think,
0: same thought.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just think if, if you can't, you're not going to go start another semester of college and start taking classes again to just be back in wait and see mode for an entire semester. Um, especially when your ultimate goal is going to be the NBA draft. Um, and he's probably going to be picked in this, in the 2024 draft in June. Just go back and play with your pro club. You, you need reps. You need to get out there and play basketball. You can't really be stuck in this limbo of not playing basketball ahead of a draft where you need to still prove some things. So, um, you know, I, I think basically the deadline has become tell me something by the time the semester starts or I'm just going to stay here in Croatia. And I, you know, I, I don't think anyone involved would blame him at this point.
0: Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, but they better hope they don't have any more injuries <laughs> with their big. Yeah, no, there. that's one, look,
2: I, I, you know, I think yeah. the the one nice thing for Kentucky though is that they have figured out in the first part of the season. You know, if one of the big guys goes down, if both of the big guys go down, they look pretty darn good with Trey Mitchell playing the five. Um, and True. so uh, I think they've got an um, they've got a, an emergency plan there that they know will work for them. And, and so I don't think they'd be totally screwed if that happened.
0: Yeah, I feel like because of this team this year, though, I don't think Calipari will ever get caught again without having multiple shooters <laughs> who he can put on the floor at one time. And uh, You would hope. He, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's officially in modern basketball now, right? Um, so I want to ask about the SEC overall. Does, does this change? I mean, what were they picked, fourth? In the preseason uh SEC poll, is that right?
2: Third, yeah, third or fourth, I can't remember now.
0: Yeah, an unusual ten, spot Tennessee,
2: in
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tennessee was picked to win it, right? They were,
2: yeah, and I, and I think that's okay. you know I don't think that's a crazy pick. Tennessee, even with three losses, yeah, I think yeah. is a very very good team.
0: Yes. So uh, where where do you see Kentucky now? You know, now that we've we've had basically this non-conference, I mean, they still got one more, but the non-conference uh, schedule, the way it played out, how do you see them shaping up in the SEC?
2: Yeah, I think Kentucky's going to be right there. Um, and it's going to be fascinating when they play those Tennessee games because, you know, a- as is pretty normal under Rick Barnes, they've got one of the best in the country, basically a top-five defense. Kentucky's got pretty much a top-five offense. Um you know how will those match up? That that'll be really interesting. I think Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn looks really good. Um, Auburn is a is a really interesting team this year because they don't have big big stars necessarily, um, but they're they're legitimately 10 deep. Pearl is playing. Bruce Pearl's playing. Ten guys, 20 minutes a game basically. Um, nobody plays over like 23 or 24 minutes on their team. But everybody he runs out there can play. And so, you know, he, that second wave hits and you're, you're grabbing your shorts. And, you know, Kentucky's pretty deep now. Um, you know, when, when you're good enough, talented, talented and deep enough that you can bring Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham off the bench, you're pretty deep. Um, and so I think, I think the league's going to be, uh, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn. We'll see about Alabama. This hasn't been one of the typical Nate Oaks, Alabama teams. They shoot shoot a ton of threes per usual, but they're not great at shooting them. Um, You know, Arkansas is that team that um, I feel like it's going to be like every Arkansas team, a little disappointing all during the regular season, and then they'll be in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight with Musselman (laughs) pushing the buttons there. So, um, you know, and and teams like Florida, the SEC is pretty deep, I would say, that's going to be really interesting. I think Kentucky could take a random – I mean, Ole Miss is one of the three undefeated teams left in college basketball uh, under Chris Beard. Um, So the bottom half of the league could could pop up and get you too, but I think Kentucky will be right there contending for I think its first SEC championship since 2020, which is kind of crazy too.
0: That is crazy to say out loud. (laughs) Um, I'll let you go on this question. So my – contention especially back in you know back in june before trey mitchell before west virginia happens and trey mitchell comes on the roster i was thinking kentucky was going to be way too young to be a serious contender do you think that that youth ever catches up to them or the talent level that they have makes up for whatever you know in this in uh inexperience that they have
2: yeah, I, I'm with you. I thought the exact same thing. I, I thought it was borderline insane of Cal to go as young as he was, looked like he was going to go. Uh, let, let's remember, at one point they had seven guys, scholarship players, yeah. all, all were freshmen and sophomores because Reeves was actively exploring the possibility of transferring. If he could have graduated, I think he would have transferred. Um, and, and, you know, not like Cal put on the schedule, like, uh in, in June, late June, we're going to have Bob Huggins get a DUI and a, a perfect stretch five is going to fall into our lap. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, at that, at that point, it looked like an absolutely insane way to build a roster in, in the oldest area of college basketball because not only does transfer portal let you get older, but also the extra COVID year means you've got sixth and seventh year, 22, 23, 24, and in some cases, 25-year-old players. Um, across the board, um, and you're going to run out there with nothing but 18- and 19-year-olds. That's the other thing. Freshmen and sophomores, when they were all young players, there was not a guy on the roster older than 19. Um, and so I thought, I was very skeptical of that. But now, because Reeves came back, uh, because they did have Trey Mitchell fall out of the sky, and because the, Deuce, the Arrow came back looking like an absolute tank as a sophomore, um, I think they have uh, really a very valuable veteran nucleus of, you know, I consider Thierry one of those guys because he played a bunch of the freshmen. You've got, you got Thierry, Reeves, and, and Mitchell, who I feel like really raised the floor. I think the freshmen will determine the ceiling, but I think these, these old three older guys kind of raised the floor where they're they're not going to fall too far because, you know, if the freshmen kind of lose their mind, which we saw in the Louisville game, right? They like, those freshmen, even though Louisville stinks, right, it, it's a rivalry game. It's on the road. There was an energy in the building. And they all looked a little um, a little unready for the moment. So they just leaned into, you know, Mitchell and Reeves. I mean, Mitchell and Reeves scored, what was it, 30 and 20? I think they scored 50 points and hit eight or nine threes in that game. Uh, to have that luxury to lean on those guys, I think prevents them from getting just shell-shocked, you know, from their youth, and then it allows what I think is probably the best young talent in the country, um, to raise their ceiling once those guys get comfortable. Yeah. Yeah.
0: For, for my money, I feel like Mitchell is the MVP of this team, uh, in the locker room and, you know, yep. just with the experience and, uh, savvy that he brings. But uh, no thank doubt. you so much, Kyle, for joining me. Um, this has been great. We'll have to do this again, especially when March rolls around and we're looking at Kentucky as a—I don't know—three seed at this point. Maybe, maybe I don't maybe, know. Maybe so. We'll see. Yeah, maybe I
2: don't they can get, get high. One, but yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right.
1: Let's segue that early prediction of Kentucky's basketball seeding to a new segment of Pickup Lines. All right, so the last time we were at it was before the ACC championship game, and I incorrectly picked Louisville in that game. Uh, we know Florida State both covered the spread and won. I went one and two. I picked Washington in the Pac-12 championship and they covered and won outright. And I also picked Georgia to cover against Alabama in the SEC, and we see how that went. But let's get this special bowl edition underway of pickup lines, starting with Louisville. They're six and a half point favorite against USC I really hate 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 this line um because there's just no it's it's not even the line itself it's the fact that there's no way to tell you know the team that USC is rolling out on the field <laughs> it's like who are these guys it's it's nothing like the team that played in the regular season obviously they've got a, a new quarterback with uh Caleb Williams opting out to get ready for his pro career he won't have his favorite target in Brendan Rice who is the son of greatest receiver of all time for for in my opinion Jerry Rice um, they're also without their leading rusher I mean it, it, defensively they lost guys it's it's just a mess um, so there's up to 20, 20 guys that they lost not all rotation or starters and what have you but Still, that's that's a lot of turnover to basically in three weeks try and come up with a, a cohesive unit to put out on the field. So all of that being said for this game, I'm taking the Cardinals because I do like <laughs> what they have. They didn't lose quite as much. I mean, replacing Jawar Jordan and uh, Jamari Thrash at receiver... Ben Jordan at running back is is a task. But we've those guys basically played injured the last half of the season, and the we still saw the U of L offense be able to produce, uh, especially at running back where Isaac uh, Gurindo is is more than capable of still producing big plays, still helping that running game churn out a lot of yards, and Marjorie Turner will get. A lot more carries um, uh, as well so let's just roll with the cards Jeff Brom is 5-1 in bowl games as a head coach I, I think they will cover the 6.5 and, and, and I also feel like USC given what people expected of them at the beginning of the season to where they are now motivation is always a factor in these bowl games and I really just wonder what the motivation is for the Trojans uh, I, I don't really see it being that high. I think they're just going to show up to play. So we're going with the Cardinals laid at six and a half points. Next, let's move to UK catching five points against Clemson in the Gator Bowl. Um, here's a situation where UK, you know, they also suffered a few opt outs and um, most notably being Ray Davis at running back, uh, Tavian Robinson at receiver. So, you know their offense is going to look a little different too. Um, I, I I tend to lean towards Clemson on this. I, I feel like I, I feel like the betting public is really leaning in the UK, but Clemson closed out the year strong. They they covered in four of their last five games. Against the spread, um, I, I felt like they were just a better team. Now they lost some big names on defense from guys off opting out as well. Jeremiah Trotter at uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. at linebacker, Nate Wiggins who um, had a, had a big game a year ago in ACC championship game at cornerback, um, uh, who was also big on special teams for Clemson. Uh, so, you know, they it's not like they're rolling in one, 100% and, whole, but I just, I like Clemson. I like the way they played to close out the season after they had kind of been written off from, from taking a lot of those losses earlier in the year. And, um, yeah, I just, I just trust them more in this game. So going with the Tigers in that one. And normally, during the year, I only made three picks, but I'm going to give you four. We're going to skip ahead to the college football playoff games that will be on New Year's Day. Alabama and Michigan first up. Michigan is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Even though I, I felt like Alabama came on after people left them out, when they lost to Texas earlier in the year and Jalen Melrose was still trying to find his way as a quarterback, we, we saw them develop. We saw him grow before our eyes and they became really strong. I I really hesitate with going with Michigan because I mean, and probably my instinct is going to end up being right, but I'm going to stick with the Wolverines on this one. I, I think They've been more consistent. I think overall, they they are just better. Um, does, doesn't mean that they're going to win. The best team doesn't always necessarily win. But as of right now, the recording of this podcast, I'm leaning towards Michigan. That could change in the run-up to this game. But uh, because obviously you give Nick Saban this much time, he's going to have some wrinkles that Michigan didn't prepare for. Uh, but I also think Michigan coming off of the way they lost last year to TCU in the semifinals, um, they've been waiting to get back to this moment. So uh, they added the, the Georgia period to their practice um, to go along with the Ohio State period to their practice. So they, they've been focused all year on getting back to this point and getting over this hump and getting to the title matchup. So I'm going to go with the Wolverines. We'll see. We'll see how this works out. And lastly, the Texas Washington game, the other semifinal, in the college football playoff, Texas is a four point favorite. I'm just going to say the Huskies been good to me all year. And I've picked them and I see no reason not to go with them again. I think the PAC 12 tends to be underrated in these situations nationally (laughs) <laughs> a lot of people just don't stay up to watch games when they're late, and and don't don't really pay them enough attention. But Michael Penix Jr. obviously was one of the best quarterbacks this season, and I think they have enough to get done. I think Texas is is more living on a a win against Alabama in September than than anything else. Um, I'm, I I don't know that I was impressed. By the Longhorns much in the way they closed out the season so I'm gonna take those points and take the Huskies so that will wrap up pickup lines and that will wrap up another edition of the CL Brown show as always I thank you for tuning in I hope you had great holidays including into the new year and let's keep this thing rolling please click on those subscribe buttons Please leave a positive review if you are so inclined, because we need love in this world, especially heading into 2024. But if you don't subscribe, that's cool. Come back next week for another edition. Thanks for tuning in.